Thank you for downloading or streaming this message from Emmanuel Church. We are one church with multiple locations, and we believe God wants to bless you right where you are. In a few moments, you're going to hear some practical teaching from God's Word that I believe will be inspiring and relevant to your life. First, though, if you haven't yet experienced Emmanuel Live, we encourage you to go to our website, eclife.org, to check out our service times and locations so that you can experience Emmanuel in person or through our online campus. If this message blesses you and you'd like to support the ministry financially, again, you can go to eclife.org and click on the Giving tab and choose Online Campus at your campus. Thanks again for joining us today, and we hope this message will be an encouragement to you on your spiritual journey. Well, good morning, church. How are you feeling today? I would like to just say welcome to all of our first timers at all of our locations, whether you're at Garfield Park, our Banta campus, our Franklin campus. If you're watching for the first time online, we want to welcome you. If you're watching here at Greenwood for the first time, we welcome you in the auditorium here. Or if you're out in the lobby, can we give it up for those out in the lobby right now? We see you. We feel you. Hopefully, we're going to make room for you very soon in the new year. So uh, welcome, welcome, welcome. If you're not new, if you're not new here today, welcome back. We started a series last week called The Hope of Heaven. We began with some powerful words from Jesus. It's always good to start with words from Jesus. If you missed last week, I want to start again with those same words from the book of John. Check out what Jesus said in chapter 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Is that a good word for today? Could we pray and I'll go home right now? Would that be enough? It's like, okay, we've heard it. Because there's a lot of reasons today to let our hearts become overwhelmed with discouragement and trouble, right? All around us, 2020 has been a very difficult year. Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Why? Believe in God, believe also in me. Here's the reason. In my Father, say it with me, in my Father's house, some versions say mansion, in my, it's a big, big, big house. In my father's house, there are many rooms. Then Jesus goes on to say, if this were not so, would I have told you that I go to, pre- to prepare a, say with me, a place for you? No, I wouldn't have said that. I, w- I wouldn't have told you that there's this location, there's this house, there's a room, there's a place for you. Jesus, I w- wouldn't have told you that. He continues, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will, watch this, come again. And take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. What is Jesus doing for his disciples in chapter 14 of the book of John? You know what he's doing? He is giving them hope. What is hope? Last week we defined hope this way. It's this confident expectation of a good that is coming to us. It's what the bride and the groom feel when they're 20 days out from their wedding, right? It's what a pregnant mother feels when, you know, she's approaching her due date. You know, that's, I don't know, seven days away. I've also seen pregnant mothers have different things happen seven days before that uh, that are not necessarily hopeful. But anyway, um, there, there, there's a hope that this baby's going to come out, right? That we're just, I'm going to see my child. You know, it's what that student feels, you know, you know a month uh, before they graduate from college or high school. You know, the hope is this confident expectation of a good that lies right before us. And we need that today. Man, without hope, the, the brightness in the eyes goes away. The energy in the body fades. The marriage folds up. Discouragement settles in. We think to ourselves, who really cares anyway? And discouragement overwhelms us. When the cutting down, John Eldred said it this way, when the cutting down exceeds the rising up, we think to ourselves, why don't I just stay down? 
We need hope today. Why? Because hope for the future gives us strength for today. That's what Jesus was doing. He's saying to his disciples, guys, come on. You got to understand this. My father's got this place for you. I'm preparing it for you. And one day you will be there. I will come back. I will take you so that where I am, you may be also. You know, that's what Christmas is all about. That's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus was born, to give us this hope. Yes, he lived 33 years. Yes, he died a horrible death on the cross. Yes, he rose again the third day, and he did all of that. Why did he accomplish that? Just to forgive us of our sins? Just to make us his children? Yes, he did it for that, but he did it also to one day make everything new because he's going to come back. And when he comes back, he's going to restore everything. It's called the palingencia, the restoration or the renewal of all things. When Jesus rose from the dead, he actually spent, I don't know if you know this or not, but he actually spent 40 days after his resurrection hanging out with his disciples, having meals with them, talking to them about the kingdom. 40 days. Did you know that? Before he went back to heaven. And then 40 days after his resurrection, he goes straight up into heaven right in front of his disciples. And they all witness this. And they're standing there and they watch it. And it's like, can you imagine if you were there? If we were one of his disciples and he just kind of just beams up into heaven right in front of us. We're like, we'd all be standing there in shock. Wouldn't we staring up into heaven? Wouldn't we? Yes or no? Yeah. Well, that's exactly what happened. Acts chapter one, look at this. Two angels all of a sudden appear uh, in front of the disciples and and this is what they say. Men of Galilee, uh, 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 fellas, hey, pay attention. They said, why are you standing there looking up into the sky? Well, that's obvious why they're standing there looking up into the sky because Jesus just absolutely went up into heaven and they're doing what you and I would have done. Whoa. (laughs) But listen to what they say. The angel said to the men, this same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven, straight up, will, say it with me, will come back. Come on, come on, all of our campuses together. Will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. From the very beginning, this was the plan. Like The reason he came into the world and died on the cross and rose again and ascended was so that one day he would come back and recreate heaven on earth. Did you know that heaven in the end, we're going to talk about this today, is not somewhere out there behind the stars, beyond the stars. It's actually going to be on this earth. That's, that, that's what it is. It's a new heavens and a new earth. The two will become one, and God will dwell on earth with his people. Jesus Christ is going to return and make all things new. Isn't that powerful? That is the hope of heaven. The prophet Isaiah was writing about this in chapter 65, verse 17. He says this, See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will no longer be remembered. Wouldn't you like to forget 2020? Anybody? He's not going to remember 2020. And you know what? We're not going to remember 2020, nor will they come to mind. He will recreate. He will regenerate creation, humanity, your body, your soul. He'll make all things new. Now, that is incredibly powerful, but it's also a little bit hard to get your brain wrapped around. It's like, well, what does that really mean? What is that hope? Like, okay, he's going to come back, restore all things, make everything new. But tangibly speaking, what am I supposed to grab onto? The Bible says that hope is the anchor for our soul. We're to take grasp of this hope. Well, last week we talked about how it's literally the removal of pain. 
If you have pain in your back, it's going to be gone. If you have pain in your head, it's going to be gone. If you've got emotional pain from the past because of some, of some assault or, or abuse, it's going to be gone. If you've got pain of regret for actions you've taken, it's going to be gone. It's all the pain and sorrow will be gone. How do I know that? It tells us in Revelation. We looked at this last week, Revelation 21. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there'll be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, and no more, say it with me, Pain, all of these things will be gone forever. Forever. Anybody excited about that? Now, that was last week, yeah, yeah. So if you missed last week, go back and check that out on YouTube, and I think you'll be blessed. Now, today, today, here's what I wanna do. I'm gonna give you something else to sink your teeth into. Because hope can be this nebulous, kind of slippery, squishy idea. And it's not, it's actually solid. It's confident expectation in a solid good that is coming to us. What are we talking about today, ready? The hope of heaven is the overthrow of evil. Man, this is gonna be good today, okay? The other day I was on Twitter and and that's kind of where I go sometimes to hang out on social media, just to encourage people. And, but I happened to see this tweet from some really smart person who had letters behind their name. And so I was like, oh, this is interesting. And it was a theological uh, concept. And this person basically said that the, uh, the, the, the best biblical metaphor for manhood was farmer. And I'm reading that. And I'm like, I've read through the Bible so many times. And I know Jesus talked a lot about farming, and I know the, the parable of the, the soils. I've preached a sermon on that, the good soil, the rocky soil, the thorny soil. I know Jesus was into farming, and he used it as a, and, and it, is, it is a powerful biblical metaphor in the Bible that we should use to live, cultivating things and growing things and putting seeds in and all that stuff. But is it the best one? Is it the best metaphor for a man to say every day to wake up and think, I'm a farmer, I'm a farmer, I'm a farmer? And I just, in my, in my spirit, I was like, eh, eh. You ever have that? It's like, ah, she's wrong. <laughs> have you ever felt that? And, I, and so I, I just sent her a little tweet back, and we got into a little back and forth, and I never do that. I never do that. I promise. I promise. I never. As your pastor, I do not argue, especially politics on Twitter, but I just couldn't resist. I couldn't resist. So I just sent her a little tweet back. I said, I don't think so. I don't think you've read Ephesians chapter six. (laughs) What is Ephesians chapter six? Well, it's a metaphor. It's also not a metaphor because it's reality. Let's look at it together. I think this is the best biblical metaphor for manhood, for all humanity, but especially for men. A final word, Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Now, Paul was an expert in Jewish law, Jewish, the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, God is referred to, one of the many names that he had is, the Lord is God, the Lord is a warrior. He is the host of heaven's armies. He's a military leader. That's not his only name, okay? God is not just a warrior, okay? He's also love and mercy, lots of other things. But one of the things he is, is a warrior. Paul says, be strong in the mighty power of the Lord, Then he says this, put on all of God's armor that he would go on to explain in the rest of this passage. I don't have time to get into all the verses, but he says there's a helmet, there's a shield, there's a breastplate, there's a sword, there's shoes. Like you have to put on literal armor, not literal, but spiritual armor in this life every single day. Why would we have to do that? Why would we have to dress up in armor? Why would a soldier have to put on armor? 
so that you may be able to stand against the strategies of the, say it with me, the, the devil. The devil. Do you believe in the devil? Some of you are like, you talk about that little red guy with a pitchfork? <laughs> ah! That cartoon? Not that one. I'm talking about Lucifer, who was at one point the most powerful angel in heaven, leader of the worship in heaven, who rose up in pride and wanted to take God's position, who was cast out of heaven to this earth, along with one-third of all of the angels who became demons and now dwell on this earth for a time until God says time's up. Satan, Lucifer, the devil. Did you know that he has a strategy to take your life out? That's tailor-made to you and your family and your character and your classroom or your business that you run or your marriage that you have or your children that you've born. You better believe it. This is no metaphor. This is reality. Paul continues and he says this. For we aren't fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. I hope you believe in the spiritual realm, because it's as real as the physical realm. And there's demonic forces on this planet working against you. He continues and says this, against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. This world is occupied by a very dark force that has multiple levels of authority, and Satan is at the top. And they are working against you to steal, as Jesus said, to steal, kill, and destroy. To steal, kill, and destroy what? Your life, your reputation, your physical health, your marriage, your relationship with your son, your relationship with your mother, your relationship with your sister. Satan is at work to destroy your life. Here's how Peter explained it. Again, this is no metaphor. This is reality. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. You know, Pete, one of the big dogs, one of the, one of the big three disciples. This is how he, he explained it. Stay alert. Stay on your toes. My basketball coach in high school used to say, come on, Anderson, get on your toes. Okay. Slide your feet. Oh, okay. Don't be. He would say, don't be flat-footed because when you're flat-footed, you can't move. That's what Peter's saying. Stay on, the, stay on your toes. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil, because, watch this. He prowls around like what? Like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He looks around looking for someone who's not on their toes, someone who's defenseless, someone who's not paying attention. And then he goes in to kill. And the reason that Peter uses this illustration of a lion is because Nero at that time, the emperor, would take Christians and would throw them into the, to, into the arena and, and, and feed them to lions. And everybody knew what Peter was talking about. They had seen visually what a lion could do to a human being. And so Peter's saying, come on, guys, in the same way that Nero is feeding us to the lions, the devil wants to tear you apart. This is no metaphor, this is reality. And if you don't realize that life is a war zone, you're gonna get eaten up. C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors in Mere Christianity said this, enemy occupied territory, that's what this world is. Enemy occupied territory. And many of us are walking around as if we have no enemy and if it's not a war. I'm here to tell you today, this life is a war zone. You better start paying attention. And the enemy has a strategy to take you out. 
How else do you explain the reality that in the United States of America, I know that there are other countries watching right now, folks in other countries watching, we're so glad that you are, but he, I don't know the stats in your country, but in the United States of America, how else do you explain that every day, every 24 hours, 123 people commit suicide? How, how else do you explain that? You say, oh, it's mental illness and, and, and people are you know, stressed out. I, I agree. But how does the enemy get to us? What are his strategies? You know what he does? He speaks to us where? In our, in our what? In our thoughts. Get out of here. Check out. Just kill yourself. Nobody loves you. Blah, 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 blah. You'd be better off dead. Where do those thoughts come from? We say, oh, it's mental illness. It is mental illness. And it's coming from Satan. And he wants us to destroy ourselves. And so 123 people kill themselves every day in the United States. How else do you explain that every 73 seconds in this country, think about that, every se- almost every minute someone is sexually assaulted in the United States of America. It's like a sexual craze has overcome this planet. How else do you explain that? Other than the fact that there are evil forces in the unseen world, demonic forces, working on people's minds and hearts. How else do you explain that in the United States of America, 47 people every single day are murdered? Shot, killed, somehow murdered. 47 people a day in one city in this country, Chicago, in 2020. Just one city. 727 murders. And we still have about 15 days left or 17 days left in August, uh, December. 727 murders in one city, 47 people a day? How else do you explain that? When Jesus says the devil has come to steal, to kill, and destroy, how else do we understand and comprehend that every single year in our world, this is not just the United States, in in our world, $168 billion is spent on prostitution? How else do you explain that? Did you know that one-third of all of the people who are kidnapped and put into sex trafficking are children, little boys and little girls being sold for sex? That's the world that I have to somehow and you have to somehow figure out how to live in. We can't ignore that information. We can't just continue to put our heads in the sand. We have to say to ourselves, how does a grown man or a grown woman pay money to have sex with a 12-year-old? How does that work? Evil. Demonic forces working in people. Have I thoroughly discouraged you yet? Have I? Because I'm trying to. Because in order for you to taste the hope, in order for you to feel the hope of evil being overthrown, you have to come to grips with the evil that's here. Or else the hope's not going to mean much. And so I put my face right in front of the evil so that I can know what it looks like and what it feels like. How else do you explain that in this country in 2018, Planned Parenthood recorded with pride that 3,445,672 3, babies were killed in their mother's wombs in 2018? Friends, this is no political issue, this is genocide. When a baby is killed inside its mother's womb, it's murder. Hundreds of thousands of babies are killed legally here. How else do you, how do we live in that world without letting our hearts be troubled? Jesus comes on the scene and he says, 
Hey, hey, let not your hearts be troubled. Oh, I, I, I want to not let my heart be troubled. But I, I find out this and I found out this and I, it's horrible. This is horrible. This is like, how do I live? How do I cope? Oh, hold on, hold on. Jesus would say to you today and he would say to me today, it's not always gonna be like this. I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna make all things new. You say to me today, man, I've never seen the devil, come on. Have you ever seen the devil? I've never seen the devil. I can't show you the devil. I, I don't have to show you the devil. I could just show you the, the results of his work. Because he doesn't show up. In fact, the devil is fine with you all not believing in him. There's a great quote that simply says this. The, Satan's greatest trick is convincing people that he doesn't exist. It's his greatest ho- hoax. He doesn't want to be seen. He doesn't want to show up physically. He just, he just wants to make sure that God doesn't get God's way. He just, wants to make, he just wants to stop the kingdom of God from moving forward. Stop people from finding grace and being transformed by God's power into good people. He just wants to prevent the kingdom from advancing. And so he's okay with you not believing in him. He, he just will work through people. In Ephesians chapter 2, the apostle Paul says this to a group of people that had already become Christians. Okay, They're already people of faith. He says to them, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world who obey the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. Paul says that the devil is in charge of planet earth. For a time being, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit have given the devil authority to rule and reign over this earth. Jesus actually referred to the devil as the prince of this world. Paul calls him the commander of the powers of the unseen world. And then he says this, Satan or Lucifer is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. You say, how, 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 do, we, how do we come to grips with, with, a, with a, a concept of, of, of Satan? All we have to do is understand that he works through people. There are, there's a segment of our population today that wakes up every day and their goal and their job is to figure out how to steal information, to use it against you. Your credit card information, your banking information. Uh, there's people that, that dedicate themselves to hack into the church's uh, database, into the database of hospitals so that they can get the information of the patients and then, and then demand a ransom payment from the hospital. This goes on every single day. I don't know how big this group of people is, but they're called hackers and they are evil. They're bent on doing evil and hurting and destroying people. You say, it's their fault. No. Who is at work in them? Satan is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who are trying to hack you, who are trying to steal your stuff, who are trying to abuse you. You don't have to see Satan to know that he exists. You just have to see his results, and they are everywhere. And that's why Jesus comes along and he says this, and it's so important that we have this. I I think we should all memorize this passage together through this series. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? But I have gone to prepare a place for you so that one day I will come back and I will take you to be where I am. Why does Jesus give us those words? He gives us those words to give us hope. So let's talk about hope. A confident expectation of the good coming to us. What is the hope of heaven? The hope of heaven is the overthrow of evil. I'm about to show you a verse in the book of Revelation. Revelation is a complicated book. 
So I don't have time to teach the whole thing, and that would take like a year. So, but I do have time to tell you how things are going to end. The timeline, uh, the timeline of end events. Would everybody like to know how things end? How does the world end? Check it out. Ready? Here we go. So when Jesus rose in the like in Acts chapter one, when he went up in front of uh, his disciples, that's called the ascension. Okay, that triggered the church age. We are in the church age right now. So far, we've been going for two thousand years. Hasn't been that great but it's been decent, okay? And so now the next thing to happen after the church age is this thing in the scriptures called the rapture. In 1 Thessalonians chapter four, Jesus will blow this trumpet and all of the believers in his church will be caught up in heaven and that will trigger a period of seven years called the, called the tribulation. All right, you guys, some of you know end time stuff. That's good. It's a little confusing. If you've never heard this before, you might think I'm crazy. I don't think I am. Just read Revelation a little bit. Okay, so now we're in the seven years of tribulation that will happen after the church is raptured. There'll be the judgment seat of Christ up there. And then the se- you don't want to be on earth during the seven years of tribulation. They are called tribulation because it's going to be a tribulation. Okay, so after the seven years of tribulation, Jesus will come back to earth, and that's called the second coming. Okay, some of you are with me. And when, he, when Jesus returns in, at the second coming at the end of the seven years, there'll be this massive battle called the Battle of Armageddon. Some of you know it. Okay, that's good. And there'll be this huge battle. There's a movie called Armageddon. It has nothing to do with Revel- <laughs> the Bible. But anyway, some of you are like, I know that movie. Okay, so there'll be this huge battle. At the end of that battle, Satan, Jesus will take Satan and he will throw him into this thing called the abyss, which I have no idea what that is. It's just like a big holding tank, uh, like a jail cell. And this is where it gets a little weird. Satan will stay there for a thousand years, a thousand years. And Jesus will rule on earth. He will sit on King David's throne. You and I, if you're a believer, will rule and reign with Christ for a thousand years. That's a long time. We are going to be alive for a long time. You better start to enjoy life. Okay, you are going to be alive for a long time. And so we will rule on earth for a thousand years at the end of the thousand years. For whatever reason, we don't know why Jesus does what he does because he's the king. He will he will release Satan. Satan will gather an army of demons together for one last attempt to overthrow Jesus. Of course, he'll lose. Jesus will take him. And that's where we pick up Revelation chapter 20, verse 10. Then, at the end of that battle, the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet. And watch what happens in the lake of burning sulfur. They are tormented day and night forever and ever. What is Jesus saying here? You want to know how this deal ends? It ends with the complete overthrow of evil. John Eldridge says it better than I could, so I'll read it to you out of his book, All Things New. He says it like this, such a powerful statement. Evil is judged and utterly destroyed forever and ever. Not just in the fairy tale, but here in reality, in our story. Satan, his enemies, and every form of evil are destroyed with a punishment that never ends under justice unrelenting. Let me tell you something, guys. When Jesus comes back, He is going to take evil and chuck it, throw it out, annihilate it, destroy it, judge it. Every form of evil you can think of, evil in your own heart, evil in the world, evil systems, evil structures, whatever evil you can think of, it will be totally wrapped up and thrown into the lake of burning fire of sulfur. That is how this story ends. Now, I don't know if that gives you hope, but it sure does give me hope. 
Sometimes I sit around and I, I, I think about the evil that I see and hear and feel. And my heart can be troubled. It's so heavy. Some of us stop watching the news. Some of us stick our head in the sand. Some of us ignore it. I get that. I go through periods like that. I don't want to hear one more piece of bad news. I don't want to hear about one more murder. I don't want to hear about one more accident. I don't want to hear. And I have to get myself into this mindset that one day, one day, evil will be overthrown. The prophet Isaiah wrote it like this in Isaiah chapter 60, verse 18. Violence will disappear from your land. The desolation and destruction of war will end. Salvation will surround your city, will surround you like city walls, and praise will be on the lips of those who enter there. Why will we praise him? Because evil will be gone. You know, I, I feel like we've become so accustomed to evil, but we don't even really know it's there anymore. We just... We go through life and we've just become used to accommodating for evil. You go to the gym and you have a bag and you have to lock it up. You gotta lock your car on the way in because someone might break in or steal, steal something. So, one time somebody stole my shampoo at LA Fitness. I mean, <laughs> are you stupid? Like, it's shampoo. Like, leave, leave my shampoo. It's not, doesn't have your name on it. Nope, doesn't matter. Gotta watch your shampoo now. You know, you got a, you got a phone, you got, you got, oh, I got to put a code on it, security code, security code. You have an account for this or that? What's your password? Got a password. My assistant asks me all the time, not all the time, but sometimes, hey, do you know your password? I don't know my password. I'm done with passwords. There's 75 of them. How am I supposed to remember a password? Do you remember your passwords? But that's the world, because someone's going to try to hack. Someone's going to try to, people steal my, people steal my email. They do. I don't know, I don't know why. I don't know why. And then they take my email and then they send out emails to you like asking for money, you know, because you're going to give money because I asked, you know, so I, maybe that's why they do it. I don't know. It's just people are evil. People are evil. It's not, it's not the people. It's Satan working through them. You, you, we, we accommodate. Now we have, we have to have video cameras everywhere just to, to, to make sure, you know, I've got a friend who's got a, a monitor on his nightstand in, in his bedroom with, with cameras. With, it's not a TV. It's just a... It shows all of the, the images from all the cameras around his house because somebody might be breaking in. It's like, we're, we're, we, we've become so used to accommodating for evil. It's everywhere. We have to lock our doors. We have to, you know, think about the portion of money that comes out of your taxes to, to fund, you know, uh, the police force and the military and the, and the ammunition that the military has to have in order, if a war breaks out, they have to bomb people and shoot people. And where does that money come from? Your paycheck. We've just gotten so used to living like you have to, it comes out of your taxes, you have to have passwords, you have to lock your doors, you got to do this, you got to do that. And, 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 and we don't, can you imagine a life where you don't have to have passwords and you're never going to have to dial 911 and no one has to buy bombs? Can you, like you got to think, like this is the new heavens and the new earth. There is no accommodating for evil because evil is done. It has been thrown into the pit of burning sulfur. Satan, the false prophet, the beast, and all who do evil are gone forever. This is the hope of heaven. And it's our job to live in this hope and to feel this hope and experience this hope every single day. It will not always be this way. Let me ask you a question today. 
What evil will you no longer have to live with when Christ makes all things new? When he returns and he casts Satan into that lake of burning sulfur and it begins the process of creating the new heavens and the new earth and that's the cube that comes down and if you missed that, you could check it out. Last week we talked about that. It's hope. Sometimes you just gotta breathe in. Would you, would you do this with me? Just kind of breathe in. Just pretend like you're breathing in hope. Like the release and the overthrow of evil. It's a reality. It's not a theory. It's something that is going to happen. We will live in a world one day that is filled with nothing but God's righteousness. Listen to what Peter said. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth that God has promised us. What does this world look like? It's a world filled with God's righteousness. What does that mean? That means that in this new world, when heaven comes down to earth, there'll be no sin and there'll be no evil and God's righteousness will rule there. There'll be one government under the rule of one person. The scriptures say that the government will rest on his shoulders. There'll be no corruption in that government. Can you imagine living in a country without corruption in the government. I mean, what is that going to be like? You know, you just, everything that comes down from the king is right and good for everyone. Whoa. This is going to be incredible. You're going to live there. You're going to have a job. There's going to be a government and it, it would be filled with righteousness. Think about the prayer that Jesus gave us in Matthew 6. Come on, think, think. I'll quote it to you. You can quote it with me. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. That's going to happen. We pray for it now. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On what? On earth. Why? Because it's not being done. That's why we need to pray for it. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is done where? In heaven. You know what happens in heaven? God's will is done 24-7, 365. And one day, heaven will kiss earth and they will meet in the middle and there will be a world filled with God's righteousness. And evil will be overthrown forever. That is the hope of Christmas and that is the hope of heaven. I hope, man, I hope I've given you something to grab a hold on. I have given my, listen, I think I'm more encouraged today than you are because the, my, I'm preaching to myself here. Like I'm happy right now because I, this is a solid, confident hope that you can grab a hold of that one day evil will be overthrown and we will live in a world filled with God's righteousness. Now, until that time, if we go back to our timeline, our our visual timeline here, we live in the church age. Christ ascended, Acts chapter 1, verse 11, that began this church age that's been going for 2,000 years. The next event that takes place is the rapture. We go up in heaven. That triggers the seven years of tribulation. But right now we're in the church age. What do we do with evil now? Well, we try to fight it the best that we could, the best that we can. We try to create the best political systems that we can to fight evil. We try to, but then we have the gospel. And the gospel is the thing that gets at the evil in our own hearts. What is God doing right now? You know what he's doing? He is transforming people. He is overcoming evil with good by transforming our hearts. And that is why we are in a relentless pursuit at this church to help people find Christ and become like Christ. 
We say it like this. We exist to see people come to Christ and grow in Christ. Why? Because that is the way that we fight evil. A community becomes a good community when individual people no longer are influenced by Satan and practice evil, right? How does that happen? The gospel. And so today we're baptizing folks, and some of you here to see your friends get baptized. Yep. You're like, oh, would you already shut up so we can baptize? Okay, I'm going to shut up here in a second. But let me explain. So baptism is this going under the water and coming back up. What does that represent? It represents a person dying to their selfish, sinful ways, the evil in their heart, coming up cleansed and renewed and washed. And they're saying, I will follow Jesus and do what is right, and I will love my neighbor as myself. And that is how a community changes. I want you to hear a story of Jeremy right now. Fantastic guy, got baptized this weekend. And after you hear his story, we're gonna baptize your friends and family members and we're gonna celebrate together. Check out Jeremy's story. I wanna let God use me because people have seen the way that I've lived. And I mean, no, I wasn't out robbing banks and shooting people, but I mean, a sin's a sin. My name's Jeremy. I've been attending Emmanuel for about eight years. So I grew up in a way believing in God and in church a lot of my childhood, and uh, I'm thankful to my parents for, you know, getting us into church and involved, and it certainly helped me now because I've had a foundation. But I knew there was a God, and I believed, and I prayed, but, uh, you know, there was no connection with Jesus, so I don't know how to explain that, but I have known that there's a God. Um, but I haven't felt close to him. And I think, uh, I, kn I know now, I don't think I know that the closeness was the lack of Jesus. I, I didn't know what to do to, to earn my ride into heaven. I thought I had to earn it. Um, and then even looking at some people that are, uh, I guess you could say good Christians, um, it makes it feel like you're just not worthy, you know? Like you don't, there's no way you could ever live up to that standard. Yeah, so I've always felt like there's a standard to achieve. So that, that was an empty void for sure. Um, but I did believe there's a God. I just didn't know what to do with it. But I do realize that God loves us no matter what. Uh, but also you don't want to let him down, you know? So I'd say the very first time a lot of it started to click and make sense. Um, was probably about the time I actually started coming to Emmanuel. I was invited by some guys here. Was fortunate enough to get into a small group, eight or 10 of us, something like that. But you know, then life happens and uh, I got away from it. I think intentionally because there's a lot of pressure with some of that, for me anyways, I just didn't feel good enough. Um, you know, looking at some of the guys in the group and some of the guys in our church or other churches that, uh, Man, their life has just seemed so solid from the outside. So that, that was a lot of weight on me, like why even try? You know, uh, you find out who you really are as a human and a person or a man, and uh, if I dwell on it too much, I feel like I, I should have listened then, you know? But I tried to do my own thing. I wanted to be my own person, and all of us, I think, do in some way. That's the flesh, right? That's what we deal with and fight every day. There's not an exact moment that I knew who Jesus was. I think it was just overwhelming joy for what I do have in life and the family and the wife. You want to be the right example for your family and wife, kids, whoever. And uh, I don't know why God has blessed me uh, with what he has. I 
I've thought for a long time that God does have control. I just haven't trusted him, you know? So, you know, it's just a constant feeling that you want all the time. And I, and I know that that's more the Holy Spirit. You know, you want to have a relationship with God and, and through Jesus, but uh, by doing that, you're just filled with, with, you know, the joy that you hear people talk about. And at times I thought, yeah, you know, that sounds good, but whatever. Obviously, there's still day-to-day -day worries and struggles, but not like not like before. So, um, you know, I've uh, chosen to be baptized, and uh, uh, I'm very fortunate, very blessed that my wife, you know, wants to be baptized along with me. And and the way that I understand baptism is almost like a, uh, a surrender to God and a surrender to Christ. Also, there's two types of humans on the earth. There's um, there's humans that say to God, your will be done, and there's humans that uh, God says to them, your will be done. And I don't want to be the second one, that's all. You can stay standing. The reason that we have this hope of heaven, the reason that we have this hope in something eternal, the reason why we celebrate so hard anytime somebody's baptized or anytime somebody decides to make the decision to trust in Jesus Christ is because we know exactly what it means and we know exactly who the one is who gave it all for us. Is anybody thankful for the love and the hope of Jesus Christ today? Some of you have to make a decision today though because you've, you've been presented with so much, so much hope, so much love and you need to know that Jesus Christ lived a perfect sinless life. He made no mistakes, he was absolutely perfect. He had all the power in the known world afforded to him, all the knowledge, every single thing he could have. Instead he chose himself, he chose to make himself humble. He chose to be a servant to people around him. He chose to wash people's feet. When society said to these people that they deemed deplorable, that they didn't want him, Jesus looked at them and he said, I want you. And that's exactly what he's saying to some of you today that don't know him and you haven't made that decision to trust in him. He wants you. Jesus wants you in your brokenness. He wants you in your pain. He wants you with all the mistakes that you've made. He wants every single part of you, good or bad, today, tomorrow, the next week, and the next year. He wants a relationship with you right now. And he wanted one with you so bad that he gave his life for you. He was mocked, he was beaten, he was tortured, he was dragged through the streets for you so he could know you, so he could love you, and so you wouldn't spend eternity apart from God. That's why he gave his life, and that's why he rose from the grave three days later. Is anyone thankful for Jesus Christ today? So we give thanks, we give glory, we give all adoration to Jesus Christ, and we acknowledge what he did, but now you gotta do the same thing. If you haven't made that decision yet today, now is the time. You go to Jesus right now. You pray these words to him. I'm gonna say a simple prayer. Pastor Danny says it like this. You do business with Jesus. You do that right now. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Jesus, I am so thankful for the sacrifice that you made. Jesus, I acknowledge that you died on the cross for me, and my family, and my friends, and those that don't know you. Jesus, I acknowledge that you rose from the grave three days later, conquering the penalty of sin and death. Jesus, I ask you to forgive me. I accept your perfect gift. Jesus, I ask to walk with you. Show me what it means to be one of your children. Jesus, I love you, and I wanna live for you for the rest of my days. 
it is in your name I humbly pray. Amen. We've celebrated a lot today. If one of you prayed that prayer, we're going to get the party going right now. It's a big day. So big. So big, in fact, that if you prayed that prayer, we want to send something to you. We want to send you a saved box. All you got to do is text the word SAVED to number 65248. We're going to mail this box to wherever you live. It's got a New Believers New Testament Bible. It's got a reading plan so you can get started on your walk with Jesus. Continue that hope of heaven. There's a little coffee cup in there just as our way of saying thank you as well. Can we give it up for Jesus one more time for what he's doing today? Big day. I'm going to pray for us and then we'll kick it to our local teams. God, we thank you so much for this amazing day. We thank you for these amazing blessings, these people who have stood out in obedience to follow you. We thank you for each and every single family here. We love you. Thank you for the hope of heaven. Thank you for your presence. It is in your name that we pray. Amen.